Chris Hewitt and welcome to the ranking. This is the latest edition of the show that sees four Empire writers argue the toss about a particular series of films and then put them in dun, 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 definitive order. Oh, well, according to us, imp- empirical order, if you will. This episode will be arguing the toss by one of cinema's greatest stylists, Brian De Palma for It Is He. And joining me around this table, dressed to kill for this big blowout celebration of all things Bri Bri. Our Ian Freer shaking his head. Have you never called him Bri Bri? No. I think he's the world's greatest Brian. <laughs> Is he? There's not a greater Brian than Brian De Palma. Brian Adams begs to differ. I spelled differently, though. Brian Dean. I'm not talking about the musicians. This guy called <laughs> Brian Adams. <laughs> Brian uh, Dean is Sheffield United forward, is he? Yeah, yeah. Brian Dean of, of Sheffield and yeah, Maybe. Brian May. Henson. Brian Henson. All right, he's the fourth best one. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll give up. He's rapidly falling down the ladder of good Bryans. Yeah. All right, so that's Ian Freer. Uh, next up we have Johnny Pyle. Hello, mate. How are you? Um, feeling uh, woefully underprepared. Why? Uh, well, You've only I'll... seen six Brian De Palma films. <laughs> well, I, I got to ten for my top ten, but uh, otherwise I'm, uh, I'm really struggling. <laughs> which is uh, my only excuse of having Mission to Mars in a top ten anywhere. Yeah, he's I'm made a lot of films. He's Black- been busy. He has been busy, hasn't he? He's been, he's, he's been putting in the, uh, the hours over the last few years. And the, the voice you've heard uh, a couple of times now is Nick Dissemblian, who is a, is a big De Palma fan as well. Hi, Chris. How yeah. are you? Ish. Yeah, Ian's making faces. I, I'm not as big a Brian De Palma fan as Ian is. Well, Ian, Ian has seen the early non-funny ones. The early non-funny with ones. With Robert De Niro. Yes. Yeah. Back when he was known um, as Brian yes, Brian. I've only seen the... One with Robert De Niro where he's got a baseball bat. <laughs> enthusiasms. And enthusiasms. But, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, you know, I, I, I do love what I've seen. Okay, that's good. all of them. That's good. Uh, and this is a very, very small room, so if any of you start walking around behind me with a baseball bat, then I know exactly what you were up to. But first up, De Palma himself, Ian... When did you first get turned on to Bri Bri? Uh, well, if anyone's listened to the Scorsese podcast, uh, you'll remember I read a book called The Movie Brats, which is the book that to- coined that phrase. Yes. And that's Spielberg, Lucas, John Milius, Francis Coppola, Scorsese, and Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. So I got turned on to him by that book, and the first one I saw was Carrie, which is out now on Blu-ray and DVD. Price <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 just £16.99. I'm you were selling them just outside this room <laughs> yeah. earlier on. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing, Carrie. It's, 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 once it's so 70s but still hasn't days you can still watch it now and think it's so great it's brilliant so I saw that then I went and watched everything and I was lucky at the late 80s in the, at the BFI there was a screening of everything he'd ever done up to that point so I oh. saw a lot of the, the kind of obscure ones that it's very hard to see nowadays like uh, Untouchables the, uh, yeah the Untouchables Mission Impossible <laughs> the, the, the Wedding Party uh, Murder a la Mode and, and the yeah. kind of really obscure ones fantastic so you're a completist Pretty much. When's your book, The Complete Department, coming out? Exactly, yeah. I even like the Dancing in the Dark video. What's not to like about the Dancing in the Dark video? Oh, Courtney Cox. Oh, come on. Come on. She's she's good. She's fine. Uh, In fact, if we were allowing music videos, I'd probably put it in my top ten. Or the Dapama documentary by, <laughs> by <laughs> Noah Bambach and yeah. Jack Heston, yeah. yeah. Stick it in. <laughs> Definitely uh, my favourite Dapama film, yeah. Uh, Johnny, when was your first experience of, of uh, the man that everybody calls Bri Bri? Was it Friday? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, two decades ago. Um, but, but, I mean, it was a Friday. As, uh, as Nick says to me... Um, it's Mission Impossible, and, and Nick said, you know, that's not really understanding uh, what Brian De Palma's all about if you choose Mission Impossible as a, as a good Brian De Palma film. Uh, which I, I don't think that is very fair. It's on Nick. my list. Hang on, I never said this. You said this on Friday to me when I said it. When no, you I changed my mind. It's on my list. Well, that's a real about turn, isn't it? Yeah. Given that we came to, uh, we came to blows. Much, much like a character in Mission Impossible, I've betrayed you. And I've brought not the knock list, I have the Nick list. So yeah, the answer is Mission Impossible, which, as Nick says, and is sticking by it, even though he claims not now, is not really a true De Palma film. So I didn't really discover De Palma that way. I discovered, I think, De Palma through um, The Untouchables and then Carrie, which you just catch on late night Channel 4. Yeah. Um, you know, in the late 90s. And without really understanding that what Brian De Palma was, I mean, the Brian De Palma that... I knew most of all was the guy who hated Star Wars on the first uh, screening. So you you immediately come into this guy. This guy does nothing, but then gradually over the years you pick up that you know he might know a few. Things. The crawl was his idea, wasn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. There we go. Thank yeah. you, Brian De Palma. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, Brian. Bri. Yeah. <laughs> See, everyone very, calls very him Brian. Very famously, took the Mickey out of the Force. Right. The Force was ridiculous. I wonder what he thinks of midi- midichlorians. 
Because oh, the man who made the fury, sorry, it's like, the fury. he's not in a strong position to tell anyone what's ridiculous or ludicrous. Some of the stuff in his films is, is uh, bare bonkers. I mean, presumably he likes midichlorians, right? Because they add a scientific reasoning to the force, which is presumably why he didn't like the first time. It's too mystical and like, unknowable. But now midichlorians, <laughs> ah, science. Yeah, probably true. That's exactly what the midichlorians are. Uh, they are pure, pure science. Uh, Nick, mm. your first experience... I don't know. I can't remember the first, but I remember seeing Scarface uh, when I was pretty young at school. There was a guy called Steve who had uh, Scarface on VHS and Aliens on VHS. And so we used to, when the teachers weren't about, watch those. And um, I was very impressed by Scarface. I know it's um, not generally beloved by people, but um, it made a very strong impression on me. Is that the case? Is it yeah, surprisingly, not generally beloved? I, yeah, yeah, it's rubbish. I, as I learned, because I, um, I did a big kind of oral history piece on it a few years back, and... Yeah, a lot of people were, like, unenthusiastic about the fact I was writing a big article. Really? Yeah. I see, I think that film's... I, I thought, for me, that film's always been thought of as a classic. A I think, classic. I, just, I think the fact it's no? become kind of beloved by rappers and footballers, I, I think now it has kind of acquired a reputation as a kind of a, a sort of dumb film that, you know, hasn't got much to it. That's, that seems to be yeah. the general impression. Yeah. I don't think it's it's been embraced I as a classic, know. particularly. I, the poster I, is better than the film. Oh, that's not true. That's the not the true. oral history is better than the film. The oral history is great. So, Thanks, Johnny. Nick, you got to speak to De Palma, didn't you? I did, um, via Skype. And um, every time I go on Skype, I get very excited because Brian De Palma's little profile <laughs> pops up. Um, he has a fake name, which I won't say. But um, Is yeah. it Ryan De Palma? It's, it's Ryan De Palma. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to crack that code. It's at Bri Bri 43. <laughs> Bri Bri um, the De So I get very excited when I go on Skype because it's it's Brian De Palma, um, Brian Thompson from the X-Files, the alien bounty hunter. Uh, wow. They, those two guys pop up. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. But I, I haven't sort of called him in the middle of the night or anything. No, that would be bad. That would be very Again. bad. Do you guys, I know this is maybe going off the beaten path slightly, but do you have any famous Skype contacts who are on there whenever you you, you open it up? No, I haven't, no. <laughs> you know what Skype I've got, is? I've got Larry Cuba. Larry Cuba is the man who created uh, the Death Star plans. See, that's good. That's, that's the pretty only good. one I've got. That's pretty good. Everything. I've got Gothmog as well. I've got a lot of, quite a few orcs really? um, from Lord of the Rings. And so Gothmog pops up there. I have uh, Ariana Richards. That's from pretty Jurassic good. Park. That's good. But she's my only Skype contact because I downloaded Skype to speak to her. For you, Nick. I don't have Skype. What the hell? Okay, must have deleted it. No uh, one needs Skype these days. I, I think Everyone has Sky- FaceTime. Skype is still important. Ian, have you interviewed De Palma in, in your time? No, I, I, I saw him being interviewed on stage at the, at the BFI in the late 80s. At some, right. But I've never, I've it's never not met the same him. thing. It's not the same thing, no. How was he? He was very good, yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, honestly, the documentary is brilliant. Yes, it is. The De Palma documentary. You haven't seen that. So the documentary is uh, Noah Baumbach and Jake Paltrow and they got together and they basically went to De Palma's house and they just recorded them talking for ages about his movies and that may sound not great, it's just a bloke, old bloke talking about his films, but it's fantastic. My favourite thing about that documentary is the fact he keeps saying holy mackerel. That's his <laughs> kind of catchphrase, which I guess is, he keeps reminding me of Robin from 60s uh, Batman. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel. So um, my first experience of De Palma, I can't remember exactly the first time that I saw a De Palma film, but I do remember experiences of watching De Palma films and just being astonished by his set pieces. Because I I, you know, I called him a, uh, one of Hollywood's great uh, visual stylists at the beginning. And he is, and obviously well, he owes a big debt to Hitchcock, and we'll get on to that in a, in a few minutes. But for me, there is something bravura about a lot of the set pieces and the attempts, whether it's uh, Mission Impossible, the the sort of soundless heist sequence yeah. where you see Tom Cruise dangling above Rolf Saxon's William Donlow, or or the the amazing, you know, I'm going straight for the commercial stuff, but the amazing shootout the, down the, uh, the the Odessa Steps homage in Untouchables yeah, and even, to even Blowout. In, yeah, or the rubbish films like Bonfire the Valances opens with an amazing five-minute track. Oh, my God, yes. Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes Snake, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. How amazing is the opening of Snake Eyes? Mm. Yeah. The rest yeah. of it is rubbish. I have a soft spot for Snake yeah, I know Eyes. People like, yeah, people like Cage, don't they? They like the kind of manic Cage. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's one, of those, one of those times in Cage's life, because obviously... He, 
he's gone off the rails somewhat, Cage, in terms of the quality control, I would say. But And Snake Eyes is by no means a great film, but it is one of those great times when you get absolutely manic Cage married with this director who was coming off mission and had... Finally, I think one of the one of the one of the issues through De Palma's career, I, I I always get the sense is him butting heads with the studio, and you know he wants to do these mad, crazy things, and they won't let him. But with uh, Snake Eyes, we're like, yeah, sure, yeah, go ahead. You want to do a, how long opening shot for the? Yeah, of course. You want to have Nick Cage yelling, "I am the king." Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> Knock yourself out. That's good fun. Yeah. So I, I absolutely think that De Palma should direct a Marvel movie. He should do one of those set, those action set pieces, and he'll make sense of it. That's yeah. what, that's what he, he should do. Big blockbusters. It's, it's amazing to me that he Hawkeye in a dress. <laughs> <laughs> he blew it in Mission to Mars, right? Because that feels like it should have been a blockbuster and distinctly wasn't. Yeah, maybe, but I think he's, there's enough of a track record to give him another go. You know. But isn't he one of those directors who, a bit like, uh, say, John Carpenter or uh, John Landis, who's gone off the boil a little bit? And I, I realise this is probably yeah. starting at a bad point of his career, but if you look at the most recent most recent films, the output isn't great. No. Uh, no. Femme Fatale and... Passion. Isn't passion great. and Redacted. Redacted and, is his worst film, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, no. it's not good. None of those will be troubling our top ten. I doubt it. But, you know, let's focus on the good stuff. Let's focus on why we're talking about De Palma and why he's still relevant, why we, you, people still talk about him 30, 40 years after he first burst on the scene. And it is the fact that he's a great stylist. Um, it is the fact that he can pull off these incredible tracking shots. It is the fact that he's a bit of a, not necessarily a pioneer, but he's someone who just goes for it. He has, he goes for split screen. He uses split diopter. There we yes. go. There we go. Nick, I love, I love saying that. Nick threatened yeah. us with physical violence if anyone else used the words <laughs> split diopter before I think him. My favourite split diopter is in The Untouchables, where the opera singer is singing in the foreground. Mm. And Capone is in the background. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. So it's essentially um, keeping two things in focus at the same time. Yeah. So you've got something but, in the back, are, something far away, and something yeah. close, and they're but, both. So you get two bits of information. Yeah, you screw, you screw something on the lens that, that changes the focal length of the lens, yeah. but half and half of it. There's and an amazing one in Blowout. Sorry, there's an amazing one in Blowout with an owl. Um, you oh, see Tra- Travolta's yeah. over recording it, and the owl is in the right near the camera, and it swivels its head around and looks at the camera. Yeah, the, the owl breaks the fourth wall. It's fantastic. What an owl! What an owl! What a great performance! But yeah, so that that's an in-camera effect, isn't it? Because the one in the one in Blowout, I was, just, I was watching it again in preparation for this, and I was just thinking, when the owl swivels his head and looks at the camera. It's uh, that's an incredible coincidence. I mean, they must have been they like had to get through nine owls. <laughs> that was the ninth one. <laughs> Why are they killing these owls for not doing it? <laughs> no, they're, fi- no, no, they're firing. They're firing. Them. They're firing the owls. Yeah, yeah. they're taking them back to the job centre. They were never seen again, but presumably yeah. still alive. They all have T-shirts. I worked with Brian De Palma. You should see the other guy, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, I mean, nobody uses the camera like De Palma. It's, it's the stuff that he does. There's a, another bit in Blowout where the camera is revolving around slowly around the room as Travolta is working on his tapes, which is amazing. And um, I don't remember seeing that in anything else. There's there's stuff in Raising Cain, which I'm a big fan of, um, which no one else in this room is a big oh. fan of. Uh, but I, th- 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 just his use of the camera, his staging, his blocking, uh, his uh, his incredible ability to mount very complicated set pieces, whether it's, again, the shootout at the end of The Untouchables, yeah. or there's an amazing shootout equally at the end of Carlito's Way. Yeah. Um, there's just something about he can he, his his knack for putting uh, a, a great visual set piece together uh, is maybe not second to none. I mean, obviously we talked about Martin Scorsese on the last podcast, yeah, but Spielberg. he's certainly Spielberg. You know, he's yeah. pretty good, isn't he? Peyton yeah. Reed, Peyton Reed. Don't yeah. forget Brett Peyton Ratner, Reed. all, all, yeah. all good. Uh, but he's he's definitely up there. I think yeah. My my if you had a top ten of diploma set pieces, I might be boring and go for the the prom scene in Carrie. Oh, oh, this is just amazing. Just so tense. And so visual. And and the ability to do split screen and to have action sustained in split screen. And no other director really does that. I can't even think, because he's a big influence on Ed- Edgar Wright, but I can't really think of many split screen moments in Edgar Wright movies. Scott Pilgrim. Sp- Scott Pilgrim? There's yeah. stuff in Scott Pilgrim. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think where he brought his up split screen is at, is at the end of Carrie, where you kind of want to feel sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. And then he uses this very kind of fake technical device I'm not sure that that's his best use of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think sometimes he's more in love with technique than he is soul? Yeah, yeah. In a way. Yeah, he, uh, it's a very cold day today, and he's colder than today. He is such a cold... <laughs> he's a very cold filmmaker. Yeah. Mm. And um, 
which is perhaps another reason why he doesn't get to do the big Hollywood blockbusters anymore. He, just, he doesn't have a, a warm bone in his body. Yeah. Because he has Untouchables, which, but that's provided, warmth in that is provided by Mamet's writing, I think, mm. and he can't really, he doesn't really direct it very well. It's quite sentimental, the Untouchables. I wonder if Carlito's Way is maybe his warmest film. It's quite soulful. Yeah. You, you really like that character. That's quite rare. You know, you watch something like Body Double, you don't really warm to that, that guy at all. Carlito's Way has got like a real humanity to it I think yeah and there's also some humanity in the early the late 60s films as well Greetings and Heimann you get mm. a sense of there's human beings here and yeah. just so what changed did he just fall in love with technique yeah maybe I don't know I, it's kind of blind blood sister or sisters is the film that it kind of he starts getting into technique in a really big way mm. which is kind of his, his rip off of Psycho uh, and that's where you start seeing it's his first use of split screen I think no, okay. it's, not, it's, one, it's one of his first uses of split yeah, screen yeah. I, I agree with Nick on Carlito's way. I think there's a, that lovely, that lovely love story between Pacino and, and Penelope Ann Miller really underpins the film. It really gives it, it really gives it something. I don't think at the end of Scarface you're rooting for Tony Montana to survive because he's such a monster. But this yeah. is this is like a warmer, wiser version of Scarface. And I, I just I we'll talk about it in a, in a few minutes. But I love that film. It's probably my favorite De Palma film. And uh, uh, and every time is one of those movies that even though it begins with the end, you know that Carlito is is dying and he gets shot at the, at the beginning by Benny Blanco from the Bronx. You you root for him to get away. It's one of those movies. It's, it's, it's a great tragedy in that in that sense. You're just hoping against hope that this is the time. I will stick the DVD in this time or the Blu-ray or stream it. Yeah, we're, it's a '90s, yeah. and this is the moment <laughs> that he's going to get away. That that uh, Benny Blanco is going to miss. Yeah, he's he's got a great workout Pacino, hasn't he? Both in Scarface and this, and Sean Penn. Although Sean Penn is generally good. Pacino, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can't say the same about Pacino. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I read someone saying that um, Colita's Way is the film that The Godfather Part Three should have been, which is quite an interesting kind of comment. That you know, the the older yeah. kind of gangster. Who- yeah. And he's so good in that. I, I remember seeing him for the first time and just being absolutely blown away by just the, the sort of the operatic sweep of the whole thing as well. But there's there's a glorious warmth to Pacino's performance. It's one of the few late era, and by late era, I mean eighties, nineties. Pacino that it isn't just about bluster it's a, but there's there's an attempt to find the guy there but again there's great set pieces yeah. if you remember the, uh, the the bit where he gets out of prison he goes to find his cousin he goes with his cousin and it, it ends up being a, a hit the job pool, on his cousin pool table scene the pool table scene is so good so good and there's so many great moments in that and so many great performances Carlito is an absolute idiot though <laughs> I mean well he's he's an idiot he's I, re-watch, I rewatched it recently and it's like come on don't you know don't listen to your mate who's hoovering <laughs> up coke constantly <laughs> <laughs> he makes a terrible decision, and he kind of has it coming to him. He doesn't have it coming death. to him. Coming he to him. Death. He kind of does. Death. It's like choose between your your girlfriend or or Sean Penn, Coke Monster. He tries to have his cake and eat it. He's trying to help Sean Penn out because he's a good guy. He doesn't know the extent of Sean Penn's uh, Cocorama, and so therefore. He doesn't know that Sean Penn's going to try and kill the the, the old geezer. We've all been there, and we all made the same call. We just got away with it, Nick. <laughs> Amongst us has never agreed to break someone out of from prison and then betrayed them by stoving their heads in with a with a canoe with an oar. Who amongst with us has never with a canoe? I hold a canoe on me at all times, just in case for for head stoving purposes. I think it's technically um, a kayak. A kayak. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I love Carlito's way, and yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the few examples of of heart in De Palma. Ian, you mentioned that Sisters is um, how did you describe it? An homage to Psycho, a rip off okay, of Psycho. Yeah, it's, yeah. Let's, let's let's be generous. Let's call it an homage. Homage. Okay. Which is, it's kind of Psycho with Siamese twins. And obsession is his vertigo. His, his vertigo. Yeah. So he's very much a, a student of of Hitchcock. He's very much the Noel Gallagher of movies in that way. And that yeah, these movies are these movies are his remixes shall yeah. we say and it's his late 60s early 70s were remixes of Goddard so oh, he okay. started Goddard moved on to Hitchcock and then I guess we kind of get what he is on his own forged in the crucible of Goddard and Hitchcock yeah eventually we come to Michael Caine in the dress <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it leads yeah yeah, that's where it always leads. But what about the Hitchcock influence on De Palma? How important is that? It's really important. I mean, I think he he says that he kind of it's a language that you learn to speak and then you kind of find your own riffs on it. And he does. It's not a slavish reinterpretation of Hitchcock. It's there's much more bravura than in Hitchcock. I think there was a famous uh, quote from Hitchcock when he was asked about obsession, and he was told it's a homage, and he went more like fromage. <laughs> 
Um, so I don't know how impressed the Master of Suspense was about yeah. this other Master of Suspense. Yeah, because Sister sees him work with Bernard Herrmann for the first time as well. Yes. And, yeah, and that kind of yes. relationship now is in the point. Is it just that the department can get away with more because it's later? Like he's doing. There's a bit of that, yeah. There's a bit of that. I think we, we, Body Double is a film that is a definitely a fuck you to the MPAA. I got you, you hammered me on Dress to Kill and Scarface, mm. now I'm going to show you what I can really do. And it's really violent mm. and misogynistic. He had kind of carte blanche at that point, didn't he? Because yeah. he was coming off Scarface and the studio just said, go away and make a film. And then when he showed it to them, they were like, mm. yeah. <laughs> they, said, they said, Brian, you appear to have cast Craig Wasson in a major role here. What's, <laughs> what's yeah. going on? Yeah. And the other, the other thing he shares with Hitchcock is his sense of, he has a sense of black humour, I think. Yeah. It's very Hitchcock. Yeah. There's a scene in Sisters where they're cleaning up the blood and he slips on the blood, the guy falls on the blood, and I think, you know, that's kind of a very Hitchcockian thing. It's kind of playfulness as well. It kind of gets overlooked sometimes in De Palma. It's and quite playful. The interesting thing about De Palma as well is that uh, there is a there's a bonkers side to him as well, which yeah. I think gets expressed an awful lot. Dress to Kill is an insane film. Blowout has insane moments. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on, some of the, the more commercial stuff uh, as yeah. well, which is just which is just nuts. And uh, last night I had the great pleasure, and I'm using air quotes galore, uh, of watching Phantom of the Paradise for the first time. Okay. And uh, Nick, I know you will defend this movie. I mean, it's a mild defense. I, I... <laughs> Everything's you, different when the tape starts rolling. It was a, no, a very I, strong defence. It, it's it's going it's, hit record. I watered yeah. it down a little bit. I, I I saw it on the big screen. Edgar Wright um, did a series of films at Pitch House Central about a year and a half ago, and one of them was was this. He absolutely loves Phantom of the Paradise. Big yeah. influence on Scott Pilgrim. And I, you know, seeing it on the big screen with an enthusiastic audience, I did enjoy it more than when I watched it on my own for the first time. It's it is mad. It's absolutely insane. Um, it's kind of a sort of coked up Phantom of the Opera with yeah. Paul Williams, who you would know from Baby Driver. There's a lot of energy to it. and <laughs> You sound like a teacher trying to give someone a really, really nice report card, but they haven't had the greatest of years. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was absolutely really? terrible. I think if you saw it with an audience, you'd have a better time with it. People like the Paul Williams score, don't they? They like the songs. Yeah, I didn't like the songs either. There was, there was very little I liked about Phantom of the Paradise. There's a great character called Beef in it. Uh, yes, yes, Gary Graham. I do like Gary He's Graham. He's fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, did you know Sissy Spacek was a set decorator on that film? She and she kept having buckets of red paint falling on her head. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it the, the film before Carrie as well? It was just before Carrie. Yeah, because yeah, I, can't, I can't make that leap from Phantom of the Paradise, which is a completely insane movie and a complete original. I mean, I will say that about it. It's, yeah. it's like nothing else you've seen. And to literally just a few months later, Carrie, which is a great horror Great stylistic sequences right from the right from the off. Possibly the greatest ending in horror movie history yeah. as well. Um, I can't make the leap from that guy to that guy. Is he one of those directors that's only as good as his script? If he's got good material, he'll make a good film. And if yeah. he hasn't, he can't he can't elevate it. Something I learned. That, something that, I learned from the uh, De Palma documentary is that the Odessa Step sequence in The Untouchables was actually he he made that up on the fly. That wasn't in the script. Yeah, originally. David Mamet hates it, right? Yeah, they originally there's, wanted to do a train no chase, dialogue. which they weren't able to do, and so he just he just created that. But I don't know. I mean, I, well, I think well, there's a lot of he can elevate stuff. Then, so. yeah, well, I just think there's a lot of scenes which, on the page, another director would would yeah. do it one way, and De Palma yeah. just would make the crazy, most excessive version of it. My favourite example of uh, De Palma bonkersness is um, I mean, that scene in Carrie, where they go in to try tuxedos, yes, and for no reason whatsoever. Because he's bored with it, I think. He just speeds it up. <laughs> it's, it plays like silent comedy. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And go for it. Yeah. Why not go for it? It is the excess. I think that's one of the, that's a that's a word that you associate with De Palma. Yeah. That he just goes for broke in a way that no other director would. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at the Carrie remake and um, Carrie's mum in that just has a heart attack. That's a death scene. <laughs> And you look at the original, and it's demented. I don't think any other director would have shot it like that. Just, yeah. knife, just knives just keep coming. And I think there's a Garth Marenghi's episode which kind of spoofs that. Um, but probably still isn't as insane as the original. It's incredible. Uh, but you're right, the, the excess is, uh, is interesting. And he commits like no other director, even when, uh, even when it results in a turkey. And it did result in a turkey quite often. It, it seems I'm a bit sad in, in revisiting some De Palma for this that and, re and watching some De Palma for the first time, like Phantom of the Paradise and Bonfire of the Fanities. I stumbled upon 
two of the worst films I've seen this year. Bonfire the Fan of These is it's one of those movies you actually you're watching and you can't quite believe that it was it was made. And I thought I was thinking to myself, there must be some sort of grand De Palma butting heads against the studio here a story. But there wasn't. Apparently he was given carte blanche. There was this incredible book by by uh, Tom Wolfe and he, we, they, they got the rights and off he went. The only thing was that uh, he offered the Bruce Willis role to John Cleese. John Cleese didn't want to do it. They had to rewrite it from English to American. Bruce Willis was hot at the time. The cast Bruce Willis, who is awful in the film. But that's, that's I think, the only concession he had to make. Otherwise, he produced it. He directed it. So it's all on him. And you're right. There's loads of great moments where the camera does a lot of the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a bad film. Yes. It's a bad film. But uh, again, that's not focus on the bad of the Palmer. No. Let's focus, what let's we, focus on what the good. What do we think is the best performance in the Palmer film? Ooh. I think it might be Piper Laurie and Carrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's great. Travolta in Blowout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's amazing. I think that's maybe Travolta's best performance, actually. Yeah. Really sketches Jack Terry, who's one... He's one name away from being John Terry, isn't he? Which, That's why I thought. Which, yeah. <laughs> you know, which would just make the film even more difficult to watch. And the yeah. interesting thing about Trafalta is that was, that was his first film after going stratospheric with, with Grease and Saturday Night Fever. And he chooses to go back and, and work again with De Palma yeah. after Carrie. It's one of Tarantino's favourite films, uh, Blowout. I think mm. it's in his top three. So that may well be why he cast Travolta in, in Pulp Fiction. Because I think there's so much stuff Travolta did that you look at it and go, Pulp Fiction, you can't really see a through line. But Blowout, you can absolutely see a through line, I think, yeah. with those characters. But that amazing shot with the fireworks going yeah. off behind him. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino's a huge Travolta fan, though, right? I mean, he had a Welcome Back Cotter board game that he made him play when he came round to his house. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. He's a huge De Palma fan because he, he nicked uh, that, that scene from Casualties of War for Reservoir Dogs look into my eyes look into my eyes oh, that yeah, thing. Yeah. he absolutely and there's lifted a cue, that wholesale there's from... a music cue from Blowout which is in Death Proof yeah but yeah t- talking about just John Lithgow I think no director's got performances out of John Lithgow like even Harry and the Hendersons it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not quite um, but not yeah even... Raising Cane Blowout yeah. um, well Raising he's Cane good in Obsession as well he's, yeah. he's kind of I mean what do we think it is about De Palma that allows that to happen then is it that he gives these people carte blanche to do what they like and go to places that they wouldn't normally go he's just like so I'm I'm more bothered by the, what the camera's doing you you go off and create whatever character you like no I think he's I think he must be he's clearly a very very good actress director I mean Sean Connery won an Oscar for working with him on in, on The Untouchables and you could argue of course that was a Lifetime Achievement Award as well but he's mm. so good in that film mm. and he gives that film we're talking about warmth earlier on he gives that film the emotional heart and the warmth that it needs I think Connery I don't know maybe he's just really really good at locking in and clearly actors like working with him they, you know Lithgow worked with him a number of times Trafalta worked with him twice yeah. uh, Pacino worked with him twice there's well, people William who, Finley's worked with him a lot of times yep. Garrett Cram's worked with him a lot of times mm-hmm. there's just people who keep coming back uh, again and again and again uh, I was going to throw in Lithgow as a, as a thing but I, I can't really look beyond um, Rolf Saxon as William Donlow in Mission Impossible uh, no one <laughs> no one for people, in who, history, for people who don't know as Mission Impossible as well as you can you explain who well, he is <laughs> Let me just explain. So, at a certain point in Mission Impossible, uh, Ethan Hunt and his makeshift IMF team, the International Monetary Fund, they come together and they have to infiltrate CAA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Yes. And they have to get on, they have to steal a file from a computer that is in an office that is manned by William Donlow, who is a senior CIA systems analyst played by Rolf Saxon. Rolf Saxon was a, an American actor who lived in the, in the UK in the mid-90s. And um, I once sat opposite him on the tube on the way home and I thought about dangling myself down from the ceiling of the tube <laughs> behind him to see what he was reading but were you sweating? But this, 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 <laughs> I was sweating this is my thing about Mission Impossible right? I remember that scene I remember there's a bit in the Euro Tunnel uh-huh. I can't remember anything else I interviewed David Schneider uh, for Death of Starling a few weeks what, back there's a bit with a fish tank isn't there? yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a bit where he goes uh, on the internet the front, that's good there's a, there's a bit there's a bit where he goes on the internet at the front of that film is he in it at the front of oh. I mean, it seems like you remember quite a lot of this film because you keep on going. It doesn't like you're, no, you're but, slowing yeah, down. But, yeah. I, I mean, the film's only so long here. Yeah. <laughs> so what is so great about Mission Impossible? The people who love Mission Impossible, what is so great about it? Again, I think it's applying to Palmer's style and sense of, um, sense of, of, of orchestrating a great set piece and brings it into what could have been otherwise a fairly standard Tom Cruise actioner. So it's not just the scene with William Donlow 
But it's also the the opening sequence where, um, not the opening sequence, but the sequence where Ethan's team gets wiped yeah. out. So you get um, you get e- uh, Emilio Estevez in the lift. You get all that sort of, sort of stuff happening. And there's a couple of other great sequences as well. It also has a really batshit insane twist. Uh, which especially were, if you know the TV series, right? It, yeah, especially if you know the TV series, you think that uh, Jim Phelps, the uh, John... Foyd character is he's the hero of the TV show yeah. and spoiler alert turns out to be the bad guy of the film and that's a really bad shit insane twist I think mm. had it happened today a lot of people would have been up in arms about it on Twitter there would have been a hashtag uh, and everything but back in the back in the good old days of 1996 people loved it I lost my shit for it Mission Impossible have, has now has a, a, a formula that it, it does Is that, that's fair to say right With, from, from about four onwards it has a formula so, and certainly the first two are a script which is then given an, an amazing um, director to do what they do with that material. And mm-hmm. two, I think, is atrocious, and one is really, really good. And I think that's a, a lot of it is what Brian De Palma brings okay. to it. Cause it. And it feels, if you watch it back now, it feels so unlikely as a summer blockbuster somehow given that what we were expecting today. I mean, mm. that sequence, that um, sequence as they break into the CIA, I mean, it's almost entirely silent. It's very, yeah, it's very tightly controlled, especially compared to film two, which is just John Woo off the leash and just yeah. throwing stuff and it doesn't work. But I think one, for for a summer blockbuster, it's really well constructed. And mm. the fact you have uh, the kind of the middle set pieces is silent. And so he just slows everything right down, which mm. he does in his other films but yeah. it's quite oh. rare to have that in a blockbuster I think yeah. I just love that I remember sequence. when the rat turns up that's great isn't it <sighs> again using the old split diopter yeah there you go yeah. rats in the foreground no John John Reno was in the foreground rats in the background oh that's Rolf Saxon <laughs> Rolf Saxon in the toilet puking his guts up why, why Nick would suggest it's not proper to Palmer is that there's no voyeurism there's no split personalities. It doesn't feel coherent with his it's diluted. Theme, his themes, does it? It's not yeah. a film about what he's interested in. Well, that's what I was going to get on to, because you know, obviously when you're working Untouchables, you could argue as well, is something that yeah. is a very purely commercial vehicle for him, that maybe he had had a couple of, of stiffs, uh, Body Double and, and Wise Guys, and wanted to take a movie that would be, would be a hit and then apply his little stylistic sensibilities to it. Um, mm. But when you go back to pure undistilled... De Palma, yeah. which for me is blowout, dress to kill, yeah. body double, obsession, uh, and the Fury, which we haven't even talked about really. No. Although I think the Fury is a bit more of a, you know, bit more right. of a. Well, I, I, I quite like it. And who, who great score, great score, and who doesn't yeah. like exploding heads? For me, those those movies I mentioned are the ones that are, that really are the the ones where you you get the, the exploration of some of his themes yeah. and forerism is one of those themes and you mentioned misogyny earlier on uh, Ian and we'd have to say looking back that perhaps his treatment of women on screen is, is not great no no you think I, I remember the scene from Carrie where apart from the, the shower scene at the beginning yeah. there's a scene where they're all doing their exercises on, on, mm. on the playing field and the camera tracks along them and it, it might as well be wearing a dirty mat it's just it ogles them it really does in ways that is it's very uncomfortable I don't think any director has had as many shower scenes just having been re-watching some of them over the past week these are not films to watch on the London Underground <laughs> I, I was sitting no. I was watching Body Double sitting next to an elderly lady yeah. and honestly she was about to hit the, the alarm Maybe there's some critics who argue he's kind of he's looking at the mechanics of voyeurism and he's deconstructing it while he's doing it, but it's hard to separate those two things. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, looking back on it, I mean, Carrie obviously revolves around uh, female protagonists, sisters as well. Mm. But I don't know. I'm struggling to think of post those films a really strong female character I felt watching Blowout again how much of a damsel in distress Nancy Allen is in that movie no. she's, she's there purely yeah, defenders and passion, and, passion, I mean passion is bad but, but it's but has, yeah, but they female are female yeah. yeah that's true that's true but, but Nancy Allen in that movie exists solely to, to die at the end and that's that's not that's not what you want that's not that's not really acceptable and obviously the treatment of Angie Dickinson in Dressed to Kill you could argue as well yeah but that was kind of a psycho riff wasn't it yeah, very much so. But does that get you off the hook? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything on your list that would surprise me? Has anyone gone for Wise Guys? 
But yeah. Ian, it's not on your list. Yeah, it's just not quite as good as Goodfellas. Number 11. Just not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not, just not quite. Is it better uh, than Casino? <laughs> yeah. the, film, the film that, that no, I'd like to talk about is Greetings. Okay. Uh, which is um, his kind of Goddard period. And it, it's, a bit, it's, it's a bit like, it's like a letter from 1969. It would absolutely tell you what it's like to live in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about three guys who are trying to dodge the draft. And again, it's a very, it feels more human than most of his things. Uh, and De Niro's great in it, and it's very kind of loose. And it feels a bit like a home movie in some ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, it, it kind of deals with his, his obsession that he's had of his career with the Kennedy killing, which starts there, and you can trace it to Blowout, which is kind of around yeah, assassinations yeah. and Chappaquiddick and all that yeah. kind of thing. If you, haven't seen Gre- if you haven't seen Greetings, see it for a young De Niro, who's brilliant. It's astonishing yeah. in it. And just see it for, for a more fun, flexible department, I think. He's very yeah. relaxed and very improvis- improvisational, and it's away yeah. from that kind of set-piece guy that we know and love. That's one of the ones that's actually really not available in this country. It's uh, Greetings and... Um, High Mom, which is a High sequel. Mom, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not available here. Um, but on it does iTunes sound good, actually, though. So yeah. stick it at five in my list. I think Johnny Johnny has. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I think you think that was five. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian, Ian's yeah. taught me around. Yeah, <laughs> just bump everything else down. <laughs> no obsession features on a couple of your lists. Yes, um, what the thing you have to say about obsession is that. Um, all the detectives in it are named after cheeses. Generally, though, it's Inspector Baby Bell. In, Inspector Bree, get Inspector. Detective Camembert on the phone. It's, 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 it's like that, but subtler than that. Amazing. Okay, that, that, that was pretty subtle. That, that, what, what you were doing Detective was pretty subtle. Detective Camembert. Yeah. <laughs> I see my name's Sola. Yeah, Gorgon Sola. Get me Gouda. <laughs> Yesterday. It's Paul, Paul Schrader having a little in joke there. Well, maybe that's what Hitchcock was talking about. It's not. A, it's more of a fromage. Exactly. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, he knew. There we go. Yeah. It's great. Obsession is great. That, it that, is good. That circling shot at the end, all the kind of incest that it kind of suggests, and yeah. all the kind of weirdness and wrongness about that whole thing. It's brilliant. She's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Genevieve Bourgeois. Mm, yeah. She's excellent. I mean, it is a real Vertigo ripoff, but yeah, it works. It's got yeah. Anne Lithgow's great in it. Yeah, and a great mm-hmm. Bernard Herrmann score. I don't uh, think we've talked about Casualties of War. We haven't talked about Casualties of War. Um, which you is, like to which talk about pipped casualties? into my top ten. Is uh-huh. it anyone else's? Yeah, it's in my yeah, it's the bottom of my um, So, yeah, it pipped into mine. Um, again, it's not... Uh, hasn't got a lot of the De Palma sort of textbook trademark themes in it, but it's really... And it's kind of been overshadowed by Platoon. I don't think many people talk about Casualties of War, but it's a really solid film. Very, very dark. Michael J. Fox is the young um, soldier in, um, and all the other soldiers basically gang rape this Vietnamese girl and then kill her. Mm. Uh, so it's not a cheerful film, but it, I think it's really well done. It's got some great scenes in it. There's a scene where Michael J. Fox gets trapped in a Viet Cong tunnel and his legs are kind of sticking out and yeah. that's really well shot. Yeah, I think it's really ex- it's interesting to see his technique applied to something that's real and not a genre. Mm. It's not a movie mm. movie, it's a proper thing that happened in the real world. Mm. So it's interesting to see him do something like that. I remember that movie getting a lot of flack because that was one of the first times that Michael J. Fox tried to go serious. Yeah. And people going, ah, Marty McFly, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I like it. It's not my top ten, but I liked it. Yeah. All right, so that's Casualties War. And we've pretty much, we've pretty much touched on everything. So I think it is now time to, uh, to take it to the voting stage. To, uh, to, uh, so what we're going to do is, this is a new thing in the ranking. We're going to go away, put together our top tens. I'm going to figure out the, uh, the voting system. I'm going to figure out the point system. And uh, we're going to come back with the top ten and quickly go through it. That's what we're going to do. So enough squabbling. Let's vote. I'm back in a few seconds. I'm just going to do some hold music. What is going on? I'm confused. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the ranking, the Brian De Palma episode. Uh, I am Chris Hewitt again. It, literally seconds have elapsed since last you heard my voice. You know who it is, Ian Freer, Johnny Pyle, Nick Descendian. We've all voted. We've all put together our individual top ten Brian De Palma films. There was a bit of an outlier at the very, very last minute. We're recording this outside the Heat offices, and Boyd Hilton, who's a massive De Palma fan, gave Nick a handwritten list of his top ten Brian De Palma films. And this doesn't make it in. But I wonder if anything would have changed it. Number 10, so he's gone for Dress to Kill number 1, then Carrie Blowout, The Untouchable Scarface, Mission Impossible, Obsession, The Fury, Raising Kane, and Body Double. That's a solid list. That's a very good list. That's a solid list. I do wonder if it would have changed things. But forget Boyd. Not official. You guys are official. Uh, You have voted. I have your top 10. So let's go through it from 10, all right? Number 10, Casualties of War, which, as we all know, it was John C. Riley's first film. Did you know that, Nick? I didn't know that. 
Really? Despite saying it. <laughs> really? Didn't know that. Now I do. Oh, Lucky guess. Go. Lucky. I'm just guessing. Uh, casualties of War. How do we feel about Casualties of War being at number 10, boys? That feels right to me. It feels good. Yeah? That's exactly where it belongs in the De Palma oeuvre. Well, let's see what's, what's in and what's out first. That's difficult to know. If, if for example, say Raising Cain was above it, then that's, that's, a, that's a disaster for this list. <laughs> Is above it or below it? Is above it. It's above it, OK. At number nine... Raising Cain. <laughs> Did you know that? Is that? No. Is that above it or below it then? What, is this a disaster? All right. this is, this is, honestly, this list has now come from completely off the rails. I should yeah. say, I should say, in full interest of, of disclosure, they both have the same number of points. Um, I don't know why I put Raising Cain You think Cain, Cain should be lowered rather than raised? So, rather than number 10, joint ninth, joint ninth goes to Casualties of War and Raising Cain. I think Raising Cain does make the top 20. Whoa! No, it's, it's nine. He just said. <laughs> Whoa! Well, That's Chris, harsh. What's your defence of raising Cain? Uh, it is not. It, well, it's. How, it's do you, how do you defend that and not Phantom of the Paradise? Because uh, Phantom of the Paradise is an incoherent mess that I found quite amateurish and slapdash to watch, and I didn't like any of it. Raising Cain is one of those glorious uh, exercises in style that well, I, I. Yeah, that, well, that's what you could say about it. It's it's ultra. It's ambitious. It's ultra De Palma, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. so De Palma. It is completely and utterly not so I yeah I really really like Raising Cane it has John Lithgow giving multiple performances clearly having the time of his life uh, and it has one of my favourite final shots of any movie ever okay yeah. I didn't think there was such a thing as too much Lithgow even, <laughs> even in Cliffhanger but I'm sad to say De Palma does over Lithgow he can't over Lithgow you, he over Lithgows no 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 he, he Lithgows for it and I like that about him it's good it's a good film. It's solid. When was the last time you raised Kane? A couple of years ago. Well, there you go. I saw Phantom, I saw Phantom of the Paradise last night, mate, and it's bollocks. <laughs> well, we'll get on to that. Well, no, we won't, because it's in the top ten. Hooray! Because oh, only one person fought for it, Nick Dissemlian. Oh, it comes in at number 13. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, number eight, Obsession by Brilliant. Calvin Klein. How do, we, how do we feel about this? I think it was a little bit, a tad higher on my list, but eight, I'm glad it's made the top ten. Number seven. It's Michael Caine in a dress. It's Michael Caine in a dress. Now, look here. I've got, I've, I've got a dress. I'm not afraid to use it. I've got a dress to kill. I think it made a list for that scene in the museum, that whole museum set piece. It's an art gallery. Everyone, Even oh. De Palma calls it a museum, but it's an art gallery, isn't it? I think that's the same thing, though, isn't it? No, it's not the same. It's a museum of art. <laughs> the art gallery <laughs> sequence in... <laughs> this is a separate it's podcast. So, but... It's so brilliantly constructed, so yeah. hats off for that for being in the list. Do you not think it's number seven because... It's got Michael Caine in a dress. It's bleeding obvious he's the killer from about ten minutes in, but it's yeah. still good. There's even a shot where you see him and you go, that's Michael Caine in a dress. <laughs> it's bleeding obvious. It's not the most elaborate mystery, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But it's good but, fun. Um, he's very, very good in it. And early Keith Gordon as well, which, yes. I, which I like. Keith Gordon's good. Number six. Say hello to my little friend. Cutsy Untouchables. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, su- I'm, su- I'm surprised that's not higher. I thought that would have been See, I told top, you. top five. I told you. <laughs> Everyone hates Scarface, apart from me. Yeah. I just thought, you know. It was my number four. Yes. I In fact, I, sh- I should have invited it because Spielberg directed a bit of it, didn't he? Which so, bit did he direct? They, when they were running and shooting. They, 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 they a good bit. It's only a little bit. Oh, at the end, when they're... In the yeah, big mansion. In, in the big mansion, yeah. they're running, all the gangsters running shooting, and he, and he directed that. So Why did he? Make it? it number one. <laughs> Essentially, I, I forgot that. I forgot that, so let's make it number one. Why did he direct it? Oh, because he's a mate, old mate of the Palmer's. But there's, there's not a reason, like, because obviously he directed certain bits of certain films to learn, like, digital shooting. Oh, no, 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 not that I'm aware of, no. Right. I just think it's just for fun. There's so much good stuff in Scarface. Yeah. I yeah. absolutely love it. I kind of wish I'd put it a little bit higher, to be honest. But I think it's his oh, most iconic yeah. film. I think it's the thing, there should yes. be more tactical voting. It's got here, the most you, quotable... You know that it's not going to be that high, and you can you should have put it one, just to make sure that it gets higher. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I put Mission to Mars at number one. <laughs> Raising Cain is on the list, oh. purely because I voted for it. Uh, it was like number seven points. Was that number four, number five, whatever it is on my list, which is... a Madness, obviously, but uh, that, that's how it got See, in. Chris yeah. gets it. It wasn't He's tactical. It. it wasn't tactical. Right, we have to do this again. It feels now. it feels tactical in hindsight, but it wasn't. It wasn't tactical. I, I promise you. I swear on my on my Lithgow. Um, now it's so a number six Scarface. I think Nick, you're right. It's entirely iconic. Mm-hmm. So many great images from it as well. All the all the famous lines. Say hello to my 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 little gun. <laughs> and um, 
And uh, where, did they, where did you get those scars in your face? I love oh, yeah. that line as well. Yeah. And want some coke? <laughs> all, the, all the great lines. <laughs> I got lots of coke. Uh, number five, Mission Impossible. That's a little low. That's but... mental, though. That's above scoff. Sorry. That's <laughs> mental. What world are we living in? A bad world. We're living in a world where Rolf Saxon has made an impression as William Donlow on yeah. the minds of the people who voted for If him. only Scarface had ended with David Schneider <laughs> turning up at the mansion and going, Whoa. So why is Mission Impossible so high then? I mean, so presumably everyone voted for Scarface, right, in their top ten? Uh-huh, yeah. But it just doesn't feature very highly, right? But Did you, in? Did you vote for Scarface? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you I'm did, right. yeah, but it's quite, right. it's quite low. Quite low down on the ends list. Okay. Uh, I didn't vote for Mission Impossible too, not because it's bad, but because I like other ones more. I'm sorry, Ian. I know this is a game of opinions, but come on. No, I, I really like Mission Impossible. I think it, it, it's uh, that's worthy. It's worthy at number five. It does have Do- Tom Cruise in Liverpool Street Station, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> that's a good bit. It does. It's yeah. really good. It's I love it when Mission comes to London. It comes to London in uh, five as well, Mission right? Mission five, yeah. 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 It's, it's Where, really nice. Remind me, where's it? The record, to? isn't it? The record store. There's a record store. store. Then the ending's in London, right? They're, along the, they're outside yeah, the, the Tower London, of yeah. London at the end. Yeah. That's right. Wow. It begins in London where he meets whispering Sean Harris. Hello, Ethan. Is there, Lo- is there London in number six as well? Probably. I mean, they've shot here for many months. Uh, number four. Oh, I'm such, such a shame. My number one is your number four, Carlito's Way. Carlito Pregante. Carlito Pregante. Uh, a film I deeply, deeply love. Poor Carlito. Uh, now, how do we feel about that? I'm happy with that. Um, and it's... Um it's quite far-reaching as well, that film. The um, Sean Penn character's in uh, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. <laughs> really? <laughs> but as a quite a big character, you meet... Well, you basically you meet a lawyer with a big uh, permed haircut. Amazing. And so, I mean, its, it's reach is... Its cultural reach is, is, is quite, quite mm. impressive. I mean, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I don't think it's as good as Scarface. I just don't. I think Scarface is... Yeah, I get your point. You like Carlito more than you like Tony Montana, but... Everything about Scarface is uh, is big and brash and memorable. And Carlito's Way is, is very good, but I don't think it's a film that gets talked about a lot. And uh, I don't think it should be above Scarface. I'm going to go and watch it. I haven't seen it for ages. It's so good. It. It's so good. Young uh, John Leguizamo, young John Ortiz, Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen's in it, yeah. yeah good I mean, it is better than Scarface. Yeah, but it's, if it's, good it's, a, it's a better film than Scarface. Scarface, you're right, is brash with big moments and uh, an iconic poster, and it's on student walls everywhere. Mm. But I, Carlito's Way is the better film. Nobody disagrees strongly. Nobody's putting Carlito Brigante posters on their bedroom walls <laughs> at, at university, though, sadly. And I, I do wonder if that's because he's trying to do the right thing, rather than Tony Montana, who's a bit of a twat. Anyway, number three, Carrie. This was my number three, so I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> you couldn't be more in line with this result. Absolutely. That's, I would have had it, I think, it's number two on mine. Yeah. But happy with three. It's a hard watch, I think. It's not one you, you pull it's out not. on Friday night. Do you uh, do? Do you? That's I've only seen right? it on Friday night. It's quite, it's quite unpleasant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I only watched Carrie 2, The Rage. I find it quite a tough watch, but... No, I, I, I think it's excellent. Um, it's all, for me, it's all about the bucket of blood. And the, the Pino Danagio score yeah. is amazing. Yeah, over I the bucket of blood scene. Sissy Spacek gives it this very kind of vulnerable presence at the heart of mm. it, I think. And there's not a lot of that in the Palmer. So I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's good. So number two, Blowout. For me, that's his best film. It's his most grown-up film. Mm. Pauline Kyle had a nice phrase. It's the Palmer without the cackle and the glee. I think that, that's kind of true. It's his... It's his his most serious film. It's got sincerity. It's got sincerity. It's about great. filmmaking as well, isn't it's it? It's got about filmmaking. Yeah. It's got great tracking shots. It has got a mad, a mad bit where Trafalta drives through a parade, though, yeah. which seems weirdly out of whack with everything else. And amazingly, that footage was snicked and they shot it again. That whole set piece. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was it wiped clean by John Lithgow? Who just, who just <laughs> gone through it in a river. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a magnificent ending as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that and the conversation have got quite similar endings. Yeah. Where you've got someone who is into surveillance, who their life just falls apart at the end. But this blowout has got this yeah. great ending where John Travolta splices the real death scream of Nancy Allen into a, some cheap horror film and just sits there kind of saying it's a good scream. It's a good so scream. There's yes. an interview, it's amazing. There's an interview uh, by De Palma with Francis Coppola that's going around on Twitter at the moment. And Del Toro says, if you read it, you can see the exact point where um, uh, De Palma gets the idea for Blowout. 
because they're talking about the conversation and you can sort of almost see the light bulb go on in the Palmer's head. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's on, I think it's the website, Cinephilia and Beyond. That's Fantastic. Kind of around on, on Twitter at the moment. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a great movie about movie making as well. Uh, I guess Body Double is his other one with, with a hero who's in the movie industry but it doesn't really work it's nearly as well. Yeah. But yeah. it's fascinating, the fact you kind of see... Um, him going around collecting sound effects and all this kind of the inner workings of, of movie making. So. so there we go. So that's number two. And then number one, drum roll. Fuck it. Uh, we have The Untouchables. Terrific. Fine. How do we feel? I mean, it's, it's, his most enter- it's his most sheerly entertaining film, probably. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And now, why, so- why is this different to Mission Impossible? Why is that not, why is that not a personal De Palma film and this one is... No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but it's, it's just a great it's film. A, it's just a better one. Than, right, okay. Than Does it have any of his kind of stuff in it? Not, of course, not, yeah. It has the opening shot. Which, oh, it has, which, yeah, visually, visually it has yeah. puns, but thematically, he's not really... Yeah. I don't think he's very interested in, in Elliot Ness, and I don't think he's interested in that story. No. Well, we already talked about how the, the thing that everyone remembers, which is the Odessa uh, step sequence, is not in the script, or not in Mammoth's script, you know, he... Mm. Yeah, but it's not just that moment. Okay, there's there are the other great moments as well. There's you know obviously such is a mammoth script. You get such great dialogue. You know, you, you yeah. know he pulls your knife, you pull a gun, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you get the great opening shot of De Niro as uh, as Al Capone. Could have been Bob Hoskins, so close, but it ended up being De Niro. Yeah. You have that lovely shot. You have that great sequence where Connery's uh, Malone gets gets massacred. Uh, so many great moments in this film, and of course one of the the first real outings for Kevin Costner as a leading man and you get that real sense of decency as well. Yeah. Which He's is, really good in it and obviously yeah. Sean Connery is the showcase role because, you know, he won the Oscar and things. Yeah. But like, you need, in all these films, you need a really strong anchor around there so that allows De Niro to be Pacino, uh, to be Capone and allows um, Sean Connery to go, to go off and do his Oscar winning mm. actorly stuff and yeah. like Costner is really good in it. But you, you say that it's not really doesn't feel like a De Palma movie thematically, but I think a lot of movies, a lot of De Palma's movies. I mean, there's even one called Obsession. They're 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 about obsession. They're about they're about men who well, are so, driven. So we're saying Ness is obsessed. Ness is obsessed. Yeah, I think that's you know ultimately what it is. You know, yeah, at the at true. the end of the film, he he changes his character. He crosses a line because of his obsession with with Capone, and he yeah. wants to. He's driven to get Capone. Blowout's about obsession. Carlito's way, you could argue, mm. is about obsession to an, to a, yeah. to an end. Scarface obsession isn't about obsession with you it's about cheese it's about cheese it's about camembert uh, dressed yeah. to kill is that about obsession <laughs> yeah of course it is uh, so you know, there, I think that in that case it does work which yeah. is why married to the commercial elements plus the deep personal thematic uh, kick as well are you reading the is, back of the DVD it is yes starring Robert De Niro <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner and Sean Connery in an Academy Award winning uh, performance uh, it is clearly bribe Bride to Palmerizer's best performance. Well done, everybody. You got oh, it right. Hell, Charles Martin Smith. <laughs> oh, Charles Martin Smith. Who we saw in uh, Cannes once at a restaurant. We did, yeah. Okay. Wow. What don't, a story. Don't get in a lift with him. <laughs> <laughs> it will never end well. It will never end well. Uh, all right. That is it for this episode of The Ranking. Uh, our next one will be out next month and is on I don't know at this point, but we'll figure it out. And... Uh, We'll let you know in due course. In the meantime, thank you so much to Ian Freer. Thank you. To Johnny Pyle. Thank you, mate. To uh, Nick Dissemlian. Goodbye. And it is goodbye from me as well. I'm off to uh, dangle three feet above the head of Rolf Saxon. <laughs> He's so used to it by now. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.